you will, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we come to you this morning asking that you will strengthen our faith, Lord, that we would be more effective and obedient servants of Christ. I pray that you will fill us with your spirit, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that we might receive your word and give a proper response to it. We pray that you will minister to those who need encouragement, that you would pursue those who are backslidden, and that you would seek out those who are lost. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Our reading is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So this is a very familiar story, one that we can remember as children in Sunday school. And the story begins with Moses working as a shepherd in some 
obscure place in the middle of the wilderness. And we remember that although Moses was born a Hebrew, uh, by God's providence, he later became a prince in Egypt. And he had all that the world had to offer. But he had to flee from there for his own safety because he killed a man. Moses felt burdened by the way the Egyptians treated the Hebrew people, and he took matters into his own hands one day. And the result of that was murder. So Moses had lived in the wilderness for 40 years, and it may have seemed to him that God had forgotten the Hebrew people. They were slaves in Egypt who were suffering under the reign of Pharaoh, and they had been for years. Moses was an old man now. What could he do about the situation? But little did he know that he was about to have an encounter with our covenant-keeping God who remembers his people. So Moses was leading the flock to Horeb, the mountain of God, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, here in the scripture, the title of this mountain, mountain of God, was given to Horeb because Moses would one day return to this place, to the same mountain, with God's people, where the Lord would renew his covenant with Israel, where he would give them his law. And Horeb is the same mountain that is called Sinai today. And according to verse 12 in our primary text here, that would serve as a sign to Moses. What Moses was about to witness here in Exodus 3 is called a theophany. Theophany may sound like a fancy word, but it's just a combination of two Greek words meaning God and appearance. A theophany is when God takes on a physical appearance to make himself known to his people. Now, why do you think that theophanies were necessary? For one thing, if God were to manifest himself in some tangible way, something that could be seen and understood by man, it would require a theophany. God appeared in various forms to different people. He appeared as a smoking firepot and a flaming torch to Abraham, a burning bush to Moses, a pillar of fire to Israel, in a vision to Balaam, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. God appeared as a man to Jacob, and there were others. Now, all of these manifestations had one thing in common. When God revealed himself to these people, he never, ever exposed them to the full glory of God. Why? Because man cannot look upon the face of God and live. This makes it necessary for God to reveal himself to Moses in a significant way, but also with limitations. Moses once asked God to show him his glory. 
the Lord put Moses in the cleft of a rock and passed by him, allowing Moses to see only his back, but not his face. In Exodus 33, 19 through 23, it reads, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Theophanies point to our need for a mediator. Habakkuk 1.13 says of God, you who, are pure, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God alone has immortality and he dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Sinful man cannot stand before God who is a consuming fire. So it is entirely appropriate for God to manifest himself to Moses here in a theophany and in a flaming fire. One truth that fire conveys about God is that he is holy. God commanded Moses to take off his sandals because the ground that he was standing on was holy. And we know that this piece of ground, it was no different than any other piece of ground. But it was God's presence that made that place holy. And the primary meaning for the word holy is that which is set apart, unique, or uncommon. There is an infinite distance between God and man. And if we really ponder that truth, there is a certain dread that we should feel. Holiness speaks of God's otherness and his transcendence. And fire represents the presence of God in an intensive form. Although the fire was not the fullest expression of God's glory, it was powerful enough to make a clear distinction between God, the creator, and man. Fire can provide comfort in the cold provides warmth. Fire can provide a light to guide our path. God led Israel by a pillar of fire by night. But we remember when we were kids and our parents told us, son or daughter, don't play with fire. How true. They were right. Fire is a serious thing. And the Lord appeared at the top of Mount Sinai like a devouring fire. The Bible speaks 
of fire is both a purifier but also a destroyer. In one sense, it speaks of God's work in the life of a believer. In another sense, it speaks of death and destruction. In either case, that which is impure is destroyed. For the believer, God is a refining fire. Well, what does a refiner's fire do? It purifies. You put some metal, whether it be silver or gold, in the furnace to remove the impurities, but it does not consume the metals. The refining fire makes the metals better, and it makes them more valuable. And God often uses trials in the lives of his own to refine them. Believers are still very, very sinful, and this refining process takes a long time. Thankfully, God speaks words of comfort to his own. In Isaiah 43, 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Well, that brings us to the burning bush. This is precisely what is pictured in the burning bush. In verse 2 of our text here, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. The burning bush represents God's people who were in the fires of affliction in Egypt. One suggested it, it could also mean, uh, it could also symbolize the many afflictions that God's people would have to experience as God would bring them out of Egypt. They would be in the midst of a fire, but they would not be consumed because of God's presence. John Calvin had observed that the image of a burning bush, the burning bush here, constitutes an appropriate image of the church throughout the ages. Calvin commented that the church is subjected to the fires of persecution, yet in keeping with Christ's promise, it is ever kept from being consumed to ashes. Sustained not by its own strength, but by the presence of God in its midst. It was interesting to learn that the French Reformed Church used this emblem of the burning bush uh, as her official seal. Whenever they wanted to authenticate a document of great importance, they would put a stamp on it. And that stamp was the emblem of the burning bush. And many uh, Reformed churches have used that same symbol. The Reformed church in France suffered severe persecution, which peaked out with the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre, where thousands of Reformed Christians were slaughtered for their convictions. Images of the seal still exist. 
The burning bush was at the center of the seal. The name Yahweh was engraved in the midst of the bush. And in a circular pattern around the bush appeared a Latin phrase when translated says, I burn, but am not consumed. Some commentators believe the burning bush was a thorn bush, suggesting that the bush deserved to be burned. And if so, that analogy would certainly hold true. Thorn bushes are worthless and deserve to be burned. Thorns are part of God's curse upon the world. We are also under that curse and deserve God's holy wrath. We are not consumed because Christ became a curse for us. The bush is a picture of Israel's redemption, but it's also a picture of our redemption. So what is the purpose of this theophany? God manifests himself to Moses in order that he could speak to Moses. The burning bush symbolized great truths. The flame of fire was mysterious. The flame of fire also indicated that this encounter was going to be intense. But do you think Moses would have understood any of this if God had not spoken to him? The angel of the Lord is none other than God himself. He is identified as God in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. God calls Moses by name. He reveals himself as the God of Moses' father in verse 6. I am the God of your father. He also reveals himself as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. This was the God who had made a covenant with Abraham. And God had promised to make him a great nation and to give him a land. It is recorded in Genesis 15, 17 through 21, when the sun had gone down and it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergashites, and the Jebusites. It's a mouthful. God reiterates his promise to Moses here in verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to do a good, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Havites, and the Jebusites. So God is reiterating uh, that promise that he had made to, to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. It was time for God to deliver on that promise. God never breaks his promises. He always keeps his word. Well, 
At first, Moses was afraid, and rightfully so. Who wouldn't be? But how comforting it must have been to learn that God was on his side. God was actually concerned about the Hebrew people. He loved them. He took pity on them. He heard their cries. He even addressed them affectionately when he calls them his children. It was his purpose to redeem them from their slavery. He was going to rescue them. God commissions Moses with the task of bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. God appointed Moses as Israel's leader, but the success of the mission depended upon the Lord. Sometimes God waits, and he waits until we're almost... uh, what is, what is the right word? Until we're out of self-confidence <laughs> so he can get the credit. I mean, Moses was an old, he was an old man at the time. Did God not wait till Sarah and Abraham were very old? Beyond the, Sarah was beyond the years of giving birth, so it would be certain that God got the credit when, when he fulfilled his promise to her. Same here, God would get the credit. It was not a mission that would be successful unless it was of God. Well, just to recap for a second, God does many things uh, through theophanies or his appearances or when he manifests himself in various ways. They usually function as events that establish Uh, a continuing relations between God and his people. Theophanies reveal truths about God's character, but God more fully reveals himself in his word. Theophanies were necessary for God to manifest himself in tangible ways because sinful man cannot, cannot handle the full glory of God. And theophanies culminate in the incarnation of Christ. In the first chapter of Hebrews, verses 1 through 2, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Just as Moses delivered Israel from the slavery in Egypt, Christ has delivered us from the slavery of sin. God commissioned Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, and Christ has commissioned his church with the duty of leading others out of darkness. God encouraged Moses to be faithful and to trust him. There's coming a day in our nation that is going to be become more and more difficult for Christians to be, be faithful, especially if things do not take a turn in a better direction. Now, we have some decent, respectable leaders in our country, but it seems that some of the ones with the most power happen to be some of the most depraved people 
in this country. Like Pharaoh, they have no regard for God or for his word. Truthfully, many of them are actively opposed to God. They are Marxist and they are communist. Now, I'm sorry if I offend anyone, but if you haven't figured that out by now, it's only because you're not paying attention to what is going on. As Pastor Dave said, our freedoms are being limited every day. People in other countries do not have the same freedoms that we enjoy. And I pray that God would allow us to keep the freedom to worship, to congregate together. But we have some in government who want to strip you of those freedoms. Not only that, they want to indoctrinate your children to not believe the word of God, to believe all kinds of lies. They want to pit one race against another race only to control people and create division. They celebrate the immoral and they punish the moral. I'm speaking in a broad sense. Some places in this country are or more just than others. But there are cases where criminals are actually protected and the innocent are harmed. There may come a day when we should call to memory the burning bush, the bush that was burned, burning but not consumed. Now, I'm going to be quite frank that I struggle with being extremely angry with these leaders. And I'm going to tell you they deserve our anger. And some of this anger is righteous anger. But I guess sometimes I will have to admit I struggle desiring mercy for them. But then I remember the severity of God's judgments. When I think about God breaking out in judgment upon them, I could have pity on them. There came a decisive moment for Pharaoh when God said, that will be enough. And when that moment came, God went to war against him. God also went to war against the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and others. God promised that he would do this when the wickedness of the Amorites had reached its peak. They practiced child sacrifice and incest and adultery, temple prostitution and various other horrible acts. And I wonder, are we any better? Is abortion any better than child sacrifice? Is pornography any better than temple prostitution? There's plenty of adultery. There's even incest. And in some cases, people are even starting to defend that. Author Pink writes, As a fire consumes combustible matter, cast into it 
so God will destroy sinners. Some of us need to get rid of our sentimental ideas about God. When God reveals himself as fire, we get the idea that he is passionate about holiness. He is passionate about refining his people. He is passionate about pursuing the backslidden. But he is also passionate about his holiness. And he will consume everything that is unholy. Sometimes fear can be considered a grace. Only fools do not fear the Lord. If we can just grasp the all-aspiring majesty of God, how much would we fear displeasing God? In that sense, fear would be a grace to us if it helped us to be more faithful. And how much more reverent would our lives be if we had the proper fear of God? And how would that affect our worship? Many things to consider. But God is a fire. He is passionate about his holiness. He seeks to purify his people, but he will consume all that oppose him. If you are among the redeemed and God is on your side, thank God for your salvation today. Let's bow our heads. Lord, it is too much to think about. You are too great, too awesome. Your holiness stands out to us that there's just a great gap between man and God, an infinite gap. That we are so sinful, we cannot stand in your presence. We cannot look upon your face apart from Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus today and for what he did on that cross. We pray for cleansing and forgiveness we pray that you will cover us with his righteousness. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.